you know, a, a book or a movie kind of stands or falls on its ending. I mean, have you ever been in a movie theater and you watch the whole ending and the whole movie and it comes to the very end and it's like spectacular and amazing and you just feel like cheering at the end of it or it really moves you powerfully and you're walking out of the theater and you think, wow. Other times you, you love the movie and everything, then you get to the end and it kind of just, just kind of blah. Just kind of like, what? That, that's the way we end it? And, and, you, and you talk to people, what'd you think of the movie? Or you hear the reviews coming out and the people will say, I loved the ending or I hated the ending. I mean, books, movies, plays, all, they all stand or fall on their ending. And, and we have good endings. To, to movies, don't we? We have, we, we, we have the ending of a book or a fairy tale and they all lived happily ever after, right? Uh, the boy gets the girl, the girl gets the boy. The hero uh, or the heroes defeat the enemies and the good guys win, right? That's a great ending. The problem or crisis is resolved. Uh, the lesson is learned or at least the lesson is conveyed. Yeah, or, or an ending that opens your imagination of the possibilities and makes you wonder, what's next? Well, I wonder where it goes from here. And it kind of leaves you hanging a little bit. All of those are, are great endings. I think the best ending of, of a book or a movie is the one that leaves you in anticipation of the future. In other words, the best ending is a new beginning. It's like, we're not done yet. This, it goes on and it gets you excited about what comes next. That's the best ending. And we're coming to the book of Revelation. This is our very last message in 34 week series. And we come to the last message, the ending of the book of Revelation. I love the book of Revelation. I hope you've enjoyed it. The Revelation is, is definitely the best book to end the Bible. I mean, you wanna make sure when you end a book that all the, the loose strings are kind of uh, brought and tied up, that, that it just lands it perfectly. Uh, and and, and there no, it's complete and total. Um, and that's what the book of Revelation is. Just on the letter, level of a literary work, it is a literary masterpiece. But it's beyond that. It is the word of God. And the Revel, book of Revelation is the best way to end the Bible. How else could the Bible end after 66 books than in the book of Revelation? And how else, you'll hear these words that we look at today, how else could you end the book of Revelation than the way it does? The last paragraphs are the, of Revelation are the best way to end the book. Nancy Guthrie, great author of the book, Blessed, about the book of Revelation, and I'm indebted to her, and also something I'll share later in the message. Um, she writes this, we've come to the end of an amazing book, Revelation, a book that has far more to it than we've been able to even think about. And I can't help but wonder how you, seen in Revelation, how what you've seen will influence how you think and act and look at your world going forward. Um, we've, been, we've been able to read the Apostle John's recounting of visions that he was given that allowed us to see this world 
and what is happening in it from the perspective of heaven and perspective of Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've heard what Jesus has to say to the churches he loves. We've been invited into the throne room of heaven to catch a glimpse of the glory of God and of the Lamb. We've seen how history is unfolding as the judgment and justice of God is being poured out in partial, preliminary ways, and what that day of judgment will be like on the day it is poured out in a final, incomplete way in the last, last days. We've seen the temporary suffering but the ultimate security of the saints of God, as well as the eternal suffering and the ultimate insecurity of all those who persist in refusing the grace and goodness of God. And in these final few chapters we've been looking at the last few weeks, we've seen how the kingdom uh, of this world becomes the, will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It will happen through a, a purifying work of justice that will purge the whole creation of evil so that a new creation will emerge. A new creation in which God and his people will enjoy face-to-face -face communion and eternal satisfaction. There is no book, there is no story that has a happier ending than this one. Of course, this ending isn't really the end. The ending is filled with anticipation and longing for new beginnings, for the new marriage, the new inheritance, community, glory, and satisfaction that was described in, in all the rest in the preceding parts of the book. So now we're filled with anticipation and how are they gonna end the book? And let, let me say, share this with you. Um, when we come to, to everything that we've read the last 33 weeks, if you look at it from a world's perspective, we can be honest and admit that it can seem a little crazy in our modern world to really believe that one day the Jesus who lived on this earth for 33 years, over 2,000 years ago, is going to come back to this earth and bring judgment on those who have rejected him and establish a new city, temple, garden with all who have received him. Most people in the world today would think that this is an absurd archaic and unsophisticated way to look at the world and the future. But the final words of Jesus to us assure us that this is real. This is the ultimate reality. And the day will never come that you will reject believing that what John has written about in this book is the way human history will progress and come to its culmination. We're ready to dive in to the end of the book of Revelation. And guys, throughout this book, we've been, we've been blessed to see three things come together. We've given all these incredibly dramatic symbolism, images, words that depict historical realities and future events and, and spiritual truths. We've, we've gotten all those in, we've soaked them all in. We've said the focus isn't in the book of Revelation, who's who, but what's true, not timeless, Timelines to predict and lay out, but principles to follow. Not secret codes to have to decipher, but timeless truths to embrace. Not create fear and anxiety among us, but in to instill courage and confidence instead. It's not a book of threats. It's a book, he says, blessed are you who read and hear and follow this book. So that's what we're going to do right now. He says in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter, he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord God, the God of the servants of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. 
In other words, what he's saying is you can take all of what I've shared with you to the bank. It is absolutely reliable. It isn't a human invention. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who has brought this reality, this ultimate reality into visions and into these words. He says, he, we know some of these visions are out there. We'll admit that, but nevertheless, they're real and they're true. He says, this is all done to show his servants, that's us who follow Jesus, what must soon take place. And the word soon can either mean in a very short time from now or suddenly, quickly, and without warning. And I think in the book of Revelation, both of those kind of come into play, don't they? I mean, soon take place in that there were seven historical literal churches in the first century, and, and they experienced things right then and there, what they, they saw come true. But we've seen uh, manifestations and fulfillments for the last 2,000 years. And there's coming a day when suddenly and unexpectedly and without warning, Jesus will return. That's what we're looking forward to. So what's the reason that this, 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 these statements, these words are faithful and true? Why is that told to us? Here's the first principle. I'm going to give you seven today. The first principle is you can be fearless in his promises. When you understand and rely on God's word in your life, no matter what comes in the future, you can be absolutely fearless because you know how the story ends. You know that it's going to be this way. You know what? I love it because kids, when, they, when you tell little kids and you give them reassurance, they're, 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 they, like, they, they can overcome their fears or whatever it might be. And they get this confidence that everything's going to be okay. I mean, I've seen this happen. I don't know if I've told you, but I have two grandkids. Okay, here they are. This is Louisa. She is the sweetest little girl in the world. And there's Nico. And he's the light. And he's an incredible little boy and the best little grandboy that you could ever imagine. The other day, Nico was actually, he makes up songs and he was singing a song and he loves the Ninja Turtles. Uh, he's never seen them because his parents don't let him watch movies or TV or anything, but he's read books about them. And there's a couple of, in the Ninja Turtles, there's a couple of, of henchmen for the main villain and their names are, here they are, they are Bebop and uh, Rocksteady, all right? Bebop and Rocksteady, and they're the bad guys. And he's singing this song about the Ninja Turtles, and he comes to this point, and he's, he's into it, you know? He comes to the point in the song, and he says, uh, his best line of his song was this, Bebop and Rocksteady, the bad guys are making fun of the living God. That's fearless. He's like, these guys are in trouble. They're bad guys. I know that. I believe that. I know that. And they're making fun of the living God and they're going to have to deal with that. There's something bad going to happen to them. So I love that. I love that fearlessness. And we need that kind of fearlessness. You're on the winning side. Hang tough no matter what happens. Keep going. Verse 7. Jesus says, look, behold, I am coming soon. Unexpectedly, without warning, quickly be ready. He says, blessed. Not, not anxious, not fearful. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's what we need to do in our lives. Keep the words of this book. Keep them. Hold them. And that just doesn't mean just memorize them or something or, or, or just, uh, or just uh, agree with them. It means keep them in our lives. It, it isn't just to fill out and understand. It's to what? make a difference in our lives, to, to, to keep them in our lives so that it soaks in so much that it transforms the way we live. 
You see, the, the truth is God is not asking for your agreement to his words. He's asking for your commitment to his words. That's what it means to keep the words, to follow Jesus. Count on this. And don't let the passage of time since Jesus was on planet Earth lull you into sleep or, or apathy. Instead, uh, and don't let it, uh, uh, instead don't let it, uh, also don't let it lull you into or to doubt the truth or to wander away from Jesus. Here's the life application. Second principle is be faithful to the end. Keep following Jesus all the way to the finish line. Sometimes we wonder, is this all true? Is it really worth it? And we think, is this, is this, can you count on this word, really? Um, I saw this the other day. Um, nothing is written in stone, except it's written in stone. So actually, this is false. But there's a reliable word of God that comes to us, and it is written down for us, and it is uh, it has managed to survive all the onslaughts of all its critics for 2,000 years. Keep the words. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of this book. Keep going. Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. See, John saw all this stuff. And when the revelation was all complete, it, I mean, think of all the stuff we've looked at over the last few months. It was so overwhelming to him. It was so glorious to him. It was so amazing to him that the angel who is who's there communicating the things that we just said, he falls down to the, the worship at the feet of the angel who's shown them to. But the angel says to him, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. I'm just a messenger. I'm not great or glorious. Don't get, you know, attached to me. Instead, he says, worship God. In other words, everything that you hear in the book of Revelation, both for the Apostle John and for all of us, they do cause us to, to awe and to wonder and to be amazed and thrilled and all those things. But he's, he's saying, don't get caught up just in that kind of, uh, thinking about it or focusing on, on the messenger, the truths about God, his kingdom, Jesus, the future, they are all amazing. It's like getting an amazing piece of good news in the mail. You believe it, but you don't worship the mail carrier. You don't worship the mail. You don't worship your inbox. You don't worship, you know, uh, Microsoft Outlook, because it carried the message. No, you take what's in the message and you worship God. Worship God. That's the focus of your passion. So that's the third principle for today is be focused in your passion. What I mean by this is, especially in the study of the book of Revelation, people can get real passionate about like theological angles or they get real uh, passionate about particular belief systems or chronologies or whatever and, and or can get real excited about maybe their favorite uh, preacher who preaches on eschatology or in times or whatever and they can get more passionate about their timelines and the, the leaders or the speakers or their theological systems than about God himself. He says, that's the wrong, it's great to be interested in this, but ultimately you're, keep the, the, the focus is your passion is for God. If your study of the scriptures isn't fueling your passion for God, then it's misplaced. 
So make sure that this whole book and this study is not just to give us big time tingles or to understand a little bit more about what these truths are, as good as those are. He's saying, make sure it's fueling your love for God. Question for you. We've gone through 34 weeks of this, this book of Revelation. Has it led you to love God more? Has it led you to love your neighbor more? And it is to lead you, has it led you to greater good and blessing in your life? Because God says, blessed are those who read, hear, and follow this. God has, will, and will continue to bless your life. Keep your focus on him. Worship God, all right? Go on, verse 10. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Who was talking about sealing up the words? Who, nobody suggested that. Okay, that's, you know, when you read this, like, well, who said anything about sealing up the words? Well, actually somebody had. See, back, way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel was given a vision, a lot of which the book of Revelation is kind of hitching to and saying, okay, this is coming true now, right? But when Daniel was given the vision, God said to him, seal up the words, seal up the words of the prophecy until the end. And now John is given the instruction, don't seal up anymore because this is the end. He's saying this is the end of history. This is the last era of human history and Jesus is coming back. So no longer are we waiting for some mysterious Messiah. We're not waiting for anything. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming back. He says, don't seal up the words. Get the word out, in other words. Verse 10, uh, it, it suggests to us that there's a time to seal it up. That was prior to come, Jesus coming uh, the first time. And there's a time to let it be known. And now is the time to let it be known. Okay, guys. I, I don't know if you've... Um, I'm sure, you know, if you've ever been on an aircraft, they go through all the, uh, the, uh, the security protocols and they say, pay close attention, get out your card, follow along as the flight attendants lead you through the security measures. And they talk about the airbags and life vests and, your, and, and all, the, all the things. And a lot of people pay very little attention to that uh, because they've heard it so many times. But there comes a day when hopefully this will never happen to any of us, but you're on the plane and you actually have to implement some of those security measures. And the people who know, who've paid close attention to this, they're ready to go. And if you're in the exit row, you're ready to operate the door, whatever. So there's a moment where you're like, don't seal it up anymore. Now we got to roll with this. And that's what, what uh, John is saying. The, uh, the angel is saying to John, don't seal up the words because the time is near. Yeah, the time is near. We, we don't know the day nor the hour, but we know that Jesus has promised he's coming back. And, and we, we need to be ready all the time. And we need to be anticipating and excited for that. He says, verse 11, let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. What in the world is that about? I mean, is this like some kind of fatalistic, like whatever, you can't change, you know, you, know, you should continue in your sin. What is he talking about? Well, again, the context is actually from Daniel chapter 12. And what he, sa what he says in that passage, and, and, um, and John is just bringing it here uh, into, into the, in the book of Revelation. He's saying there's some people that uh, they're just bound and determined to re reject God. And they could be very oppositional. And the first century Christians, they felt that. I mean, they got a lot of persecution. And so a lot of opposition. 
And what he's saying here is don't let that, they may continue to do that. Don't let that cause you to lessen your zeal, your commitment to follow Jesus, to be holy, to be righteous in your character. Don't let that cause you doubts just because everybody else is against you. Uh, in the book of Romans at one point, um, Paul says something very striking. He says, let God be true and every person a liar. He doesn't mean by that, God wants every person to be a liar. What he's saying is that God's truth stands no matter what everybody else says. And that's what uh, the Apostle John is, is saying to us. Even if everyone around you is rejecting it, they go on being unrighteous, let them be, whatever. You stay focused on Jesus because there is an eternal sorting to come where the righteous and the unrighteous will be sorted. And let the word of God be known, regardless of the response that we give, that they give to us. And there are some people who are set in their evil ways. Okay, don't let that change you. Love them anyway. Serve them anyway. Share the gospel anyway. Forgive them anyway. Just understand that. Keep following Jesus. You be fearless and you be faithful and strong in your character. And you should be faithful to tell the good news of Jesus regardless of the response. Now guys, um, you heard a little bit earlier uh, about the Good For All Conference. I wanna to talk to you about that for just a second. It's coming up. We're going to Good For All Nights. So we're doing four nights throughout the year. And, um, and I hope, I really hope that you will, you will make a commitment to say, I wanna be there for all four nights. Because this is about your zeal and passion for loving our neighbors, for bringing the kingdom of Jesus uh, and advancing the kingdom of Jesus in Des Moines and in your workplace and in your neighborhood and in your family. And we're gonna equip you and then we're making it super convenient for you because it's on uh, Sunday nights, four Sunday nights, and it's super affordable. I mean, anybody, almost anyone can do this. So I wanna encourage you to do this. And I encourage you to get all four nights uh, right now. Uh, right now, sign up for that. And it's very inexpensive. And I wanna tell you, there's a speaker coming uh, in, in one of these nights. Uh, and, and just this speaker alone is worth the entire cost of all four nights. His name is Preston Sprinkle. And I think we got a picture of him. He, uh, Preston Sprinkle is one of the leading Christian leaders in the whole area of how do we understand, how do we have compassion, and how do we live out God's truth um, toward those in our community who are in the uh, LGBTQ community? How do we uphold biblical values and at the same time love people and show them kindness and also share the good news with us? He's written a, a number of books, including a couple uh, love. Uh, he has uh, people to be loved. And he talks about people that he says, just reach out and, and, and be kind and build bridges for the gospel and show kindness to all people. And then another one is embodied, which uh, is about the, uh, the community uh, and, the, and the struggles around people who are, who are considering the transgender issue. And these are incredibly important issues in our day. And we're gonna deal with those on the Good For All Nights. So you wanna get signed up, guys. And we're going to bring in incredible speakers and they're going to help you to know how to navigate through culture that sometimes is quite hostile and yet do so in a winsome, loving and faithful to Jesus way. Please, please 
as your pastor, I'm asking every single person, get signed up for these and get fired up and get trained up to really go the distance in this culture and do it in a way that transforms the people around us and ourselves. Jesus says in verse 12, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. He said, no matter what you've sacrificed, no matter what you've done, it's going to be worth it because I'm going to bless you. I'm going to reward you far beyond what you can even ever imagine. It's going to be amazing. He says, you can count on me. Why? Because I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I got it all covered. Blessed are those who wash their robes. What's that mean? Our robes are all stained and filthy with our sin and our brokenness and our hostility and our rebellion and our anger and our pride and our lust and all the stuff that stains us. And he says, blessed are those who take that and wash their robes. Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood washes away our sins. When we trust in him, we, in a sense, are washing our robes. And, and we have these robes that become white as snow. Now we stand not in our own righteousness. God forgives all of our sins and he places the righteousness of Jesus on us and we stand whole and secure in him. He says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who come to faith in Jesus so that they have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. That's the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem that is to come. Life is hard now. Believers are undergoing tremendous hardships, but it won't be long until the tables are turned. Your reward is coming. Make sure that you're one who's come to Jesus, washed our dirty garments. We bring our dirty laundry to Jesus, literally almost, and he washes us. And then we have the right to live forever. Not because we're good, but because Jesus paid for our sins. And we can enter into the eternal city. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. But God in his kindness, after all of that, giving his son on the cross for us, he actually rewards us beyond this. According to the things we've done in our lives, he says, you did that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to repay you a hundred times for that. You did that, I'm going to give you a hundredfold for that. Not because we've earned it, but because he loves us. He loves to shower his blessings on his children. And that's what he's going to do. In this age he starts and in the age to come, it comes to his fulfillment. He says, not so for some folks. Verse 15, outside are the dogs. This has no, uh, this is no commentary on your pets, your dogs and so forth, that they should be kept outside. He's talking about morally corrupt people who, who reject God. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters. This is the, the life, this is the world that the believers in the first century are living in. The pagan idolatry, the pagan immorality, it's all around them. And guess what? Not much has changed in 21 centuries. That was the first century. We're in the 21st century and we see this all around us. And he said, unless there's repentance, they're going to be outside of heaven. They're going to be outside the new heavens and the new earth. And he says, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You know, maybe, maybe there's, there's some ethical purity in some of these folks and so forth. Great. But you know what he says, if they love and practice falsehood and from the get go, if you reject Jesus, then you love falsehood because Jesus is the truth. That means you prefer falsehood over Jesus. 
and you're practicing, you're living in that, and your life story flows out about uh, from the whom the God that you believe in. And so what he's saying here, you're living around a tough crowd. Hang in there. It's going to be worth it in the end. Those who reject Christ are outside of heaven. It's a warning to people who read this that, you know, don't be left outside. And and as you read these words, two wrong directions that be, can become uh, come from this. Some of these things, some people will read this who have a very sensitive conscience and they'll say, well, I've done those things. I, I have uh, been sexually immoral. I have dabbled in pride and idolatry. Uh, I have practiced the falsehood. Um, I can't be forgiven. Not so. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all those sins. You've washed your robes if you've come to Jesus and you're white as snow before him. So it's talking about people who have not repented of these things and come to faith in Jesus. We've all done things we're ashamed of. There's confidence here. And then he said, there's other end of the spectrum. Some people say, I've not done those things that were, are described in verse 15. But some people say, uh, excuse me, they say, I've done these things. I can't be forgiven. And they can be. But other people say, I've not done, done those things. I'm not that bad. So I'll earn my way to heaven. And that's totally wrong, too, because you're practicing falsehood. You're believing a lie. And that is that somehow your own righteousness will make you acceptable or make me acceptable for before God, and it won't. Only the righteousness of Jesus, only through his death and the resurrection can anyone come. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This brings us to our fourth principle. If you summarize everything we've said so far is be encouraged about the future. God's got some incredible things. Hang on, even though it's a tough crowd, Remain faithful, be encouraged about the future. Somebody this week reminded me that um, the, the word revelation is kind of two parts, rev, elation. And they're like, rev up, get fired up. And then elation is like joy, hope, awesome. And that's not the meaning of the literal biblical word, but I think it's a good way to remember in our own language, yeah, it is about joy. It is about hope. It is about elation. So get fired up for that. Get rev elation. All right. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel. Now, Jesus himself is talking to us. I have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, these are all referring to his prophecies fulfilled. The bright morning star prophecy in, 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 in the Old Testament. So what he's about to say is very important because this is from Jesus himself, direct address. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. That anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Here's what he's pleading with us in principle number five. Make sure that you will be satisfied for all eternity. You're thirsty in your life, yet you have needs. You long for that thirst for something more to be satisfied. He says, come to me. Come to me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Give me your life. Anybody who's thirsty, let the church come to me. Let those who are thirsty, even people on the outside, come to me. Take the water of life freely. And you, if you do, will be satisfied for all eternity. It's the river of the water of life. It's for the thirsty. It's the fountain of eternal life. 
and it's for free. You can't purchase it. You can't earn it. It's totally free. But you absolutely must respond to the invitation of Jesus. Jesus has sent you an invitation today, right now. Come. You must RSVP. If you set that on the table and say, I'll get to that another day. If you've never responded in faith to Jesus, you must respond to the invitation. And he is inviting you right now to come to him in, in real simple faith and repentance and trust fully in him. You'll, you'll have your thirst quenched and you'll be satisfied for all eternity. Please, I ask you, don't hold back. He wants to give you the river, the water of life. He wants to give you eternal blessing. He wants to give you forgiveness of your sin through his death and resurrection. Please come and say, Jesus, I trust in you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Pour into my life your Holy Spirit. I want to follow you from this point forward. And if you pray that prayer, as you pray that sincerely, God promises, Jesus here says, I will bless your life. Take the water of life freely. It's yours for the taking. Be satisfied for all eternity. Verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's serious. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and of the holy city, which are written about in this book. He says, if you add or subtract from this book, you're going to lose all of eternity. This is an extremely serious warning. It is beyond a warning for those who are carrying the manuscripts, like don't add your own comments to the uh, to these uh, the scrolls of the book of Revelation that were carried to the seven churches. Yeah, I think it includes that, but but it's more than that. It's a warning not to deny any of the truths contained in, in the book of Revelation, either by adding to them or subtracting from them. We add to the word of God and to the truths of this book when we say, you know what? Jesus is great, but there's actually more than one way to be forgiven of your sins. Or other gods will do just as well. We add when we add on to Jesus. Then we subtract when we say, Jesus isn't really coming back. I, I doubt that's true. Eternity is a lie. This life is all there is. Jesus isn't who he said he was. God isn't going to judge the world. Things will never change. All those are subtracting from the message of the book of Revelation. So we want to add things that are beyond what God has told us is the truth. And we don't want to subtract things that take away from the truth of God's word. Here's the principle number six. Be careful with the truth. Handle it wisely. Be careful about adding or subtracting from the truth of the word of God. All right. The early church in these, these seven churches, they struggled with the culture around them. There were, and in the church, there was false teaching. There was idolatry all around them. There was immorality all, all around them. There was persecution that might cause them to, to deviate and, and throw in the towel and say, well, I don't believe all this. Um, and some of them just lost their passion, lost their first love. He says to all of them, don't let that happen to you. Hold on to the truth deeply in your hearts. Don't add or subtract from it. And then he says in verse 20, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And the response, that's the promise of Jesus. I'm coming soon. And the response is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's our prayer, guys. He ends the book by saying, 
these things. I'm coming soon. That this should fill us with the promise of, of Jesus. And then he said, and then the church responds, says, Amen. It's all true. I believe what you're saying, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the prayer of the church for 2,000 years. Come, Lord Jesus. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. Who knows when he's going to return? But we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Amen, come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Amen, come, Lord Jesus. And then he ends this glorious book, 22 chapters, with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. And what he's saying there is, I just want everything that's been shared with you to be God's grace poured into your life. I, I want the grace of Jesus to be with you as you take this out into the world, as you share with people around you, as you live for Jesus. May his grace be with you every single day. And may the truths of this word fill your heart with his grace and love. And he also says, we want this grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone, not just with believers. We want everybody to experience the grace of God. That's why we share the gospel of Jesus Christ because the time is near. He is coming soon and we want everybody, we don't want anybody to miss out on the grace of Jesus so we're passionate about getting the word out. You know, in just a few days we're going to all uh, end up around some kind of Thanksgiving table probably, right? And you know, we just don't want anybody around us to miss out. We don't want anybody to miss out on the, on, on the turkey and the dressing and the baked green beans and the casseroles and all the different and the pumpkin pie, all that great stuff around us. We don't want anybody to miss out on that. We don't want anybody to miss out on the grace of Jesus. So that compels us to share this good news. That's a great takeaway for this whole passage. Follow Jesus and share the gospel. Do good works, build goodwill, and share the good news. Here's the last principle, number seven. Be excited for his return. The book of Revelation began in chapter one with saying, look, he is coming with the clouds. And he says in this passage three times, I am coming soon, I am coming soon, I am coming soon. Are we kind of getting the drift here? Okay, he wants us to be excited, pumped, jazzed for his coming kingdom to see him face to face, to experience the glories of forever fellowship with him. He wants us to experience all those things. The famous last word is amen. It's all true and may we live to see it all come true. That's our prayer. Guys, we've gone a long way in this book of Revelation and you know what? There's a part of me that's, it's kind of sad that has come to an end, but I'm excited because I'm excited for his return. I'm excited for the fulfillment of this book of Revelation. You know, I, I love watching um, uh, ESPN sometimes because they'll, they'll I, I might have missed all the games from the weekend, but some, somebody comes on and they says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a three minutes of the entire NFL weekend. And they're going to give it to you in three minutes. So I'm going to do that right now with Revelation. And we're going to walk this through chapter by chapter in three minutes. All right, here we go. Chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter one, we learn Jesus is the one who is, who was, who is to come. The living one who holds the keys of death and the grave, who is coming again on the clouds and every eye will see him. 
Chapter two, Jesus is the Lord of the church who wields the double-edged sword of the word of God. Chapter three, Jesus is the faithful witness who stands at the door and knocks, calling everyone to open the door to him. Chapter four, Jesus is the son of God whose father sits on the throne and whom the angels worship as holy, holy, holy. Chapter five, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb of God who was slain, worthy as the lamb. Chapter six, Jesus is the conquering lamb who opens the scroll and breaks the seven seals of God's plan for the ages. Chapter seven, Jesus is a shepherd leading his people to the waters of life. Chapter eight, Jesus is the Lord of the angels who sound the seven trumpets of the justice of God. Chapter nine, Jesus is the mighty but long-suffering savior who patiently desires for all to come to repentance. Chapter 10, Jesus is the God of the prophets sent to announce the mystery of God. 11, he is the coming king who will reign for all eternity. Chapter 12, Jesus is the promised Messiah, born of Israel, born of a virgin, who will rule all the nation and who strikes down the ancient serpent, the devil. Chapter 13, Jesus is the one holding the book of life with the very names of each and every believer inscribed within it. Chapter 14, he is the son of man seated on the throne with a golden crown on his head, with a golden sickle in his hand to reap the harvest of souls to everlasting life. Chapter 15, Jesus is the king of all nations who will worship him forever. 16, he is the good and righteous judge coming like a thief in the night to bring justice to all who hate and scorn his love and his mercy. Chapter 17, he is the victorious warrior to lead the fearless and the faithful to overcome the beast, the false prophet, and all evil. Chapter 18, Jesus is the voice from heaven calling his people to leave behind Babylon and all her sins and falsehoods. Chapter 19, Jesus is the rider on the white horse, coming, called faithful and true, returning in the second coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Chapter 20, he is the crowned ruler on earth who resurrects his faithful people to reign with him and who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Chapter 21, Jesus is the bridegroom of his precious bride, the church. He is the Lord of the apostles, the temple of God, the light of the universe, and the lamp for his people. And chapter 20, Jesus is our face-to-face Savior and Lord in the glorious new heavens and the new earth, who promises to every one of us, behold, I am coming soon. And all God's people say to him, amen, come Lord Jesus. And I close with this. A few weeks ago, I shared this. And what has God promised us now and in eternity? Well, Let me once reiterate that our sins he did propitiate and at the cross eliminate. Our witness he'll exonerate, from guilt and shame he'll liberate, and all our pain will dissipate. And for joy you can't exaggerate. And Satan Christ will devastate, the demons he'll humiliate, and darkness will disintegrate. From our graves he will reactivate, your life he will resuscitate, by resurrection dominate. Our status then he'll elevate, with all the saints will congregate, and all nations he will integrate. From sin and death he'll terminate, from Christ's love you'll not separate, and on that day will emanate, great glory he'll illuminate, love will all overcome the hate, good will triumph on that day, the gospel will reverberate, forever we will celebrate, and every tongue will consecrate Jesus Christ as Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for the glorious book of Revelation, Thank you that we got the privilege of walking through it together as a church. And our prayer 
is to know your promise. Behold, I am coming soon. And our prayer is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you all.